1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On the Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and welcome to On the Market. This is York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host and real estate expert is Asif Khan with REMAX Prime Properties. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. So what do we want to start with today? Possibly the market and what it looks like? Yeah, you know what? The market's been crazy. I mean, if, if, you, if you consider how hot this market has been over the last six or seven months, we were expecting it to, you know, traditionally this is the time where it starts to slow down a little bit. You know, you get your first snowfall and the, the minus five, minus 10 temperatures, people start to, you know, retreat and they're getting into Christmas mode. But this market has not shown any signs of declining. Now, you mentioned off the air that you actually had a couple of listings now at this time of year in your office. We do. I mean, we have a lot of listings coming up. And, and just this week, we put up a couple of listings and, you know, p- the buyers are still out there. And you know, we're going to be joined by Heather Cooper now from our office that does work with a lot of buyers. And, and Heather, like, tell us a little bit about how crazy is it out there? It's it's very busy right now. We've got a lot of buyers, like we said. The inventory is low, so they know that they need to act fast. They know that they need to be more aggressive than they were last year. So they're out there, they're prepared, they've they're ready to go. And what's the ripple effect of that low inventory, Asif? It's multiple offers and, and we're starting to see that it's a lot later than we saw it last year for sure. It's usually a, a spring, early summer type of phenomenon, but it's November. And it's the middle of November, and we still have offer dates on houses, which means people are holding off on offers in order to get as many people through, and it's turning into bidding wars. And we have low inventory, as you said. What does that mean in terms of options then for buyers? Where do they turn? Leasing leasing has been huge in the Toronto area, and Heather, you were telling us a little bit about what's happening with your lease listings, you guys have to hold off on offers on those too because people are submitting offers without even seeing these lease properties. So we're talking about rentals? They're rentals, yeah. And people are making multiple offers on rental properties that they haven't even seen? That's right. And and the other thing is the qualification process is is crazy now because usually the people that were renting had low credit scores or not enough income. Now you're getting people being turned down for leases, and they have one hundred and forty, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, you know, family income. They've got seven hundred, seven hundred fifty credit scores. These are people that would qualify for a purchase that are being turned down for a rental because the competition is that stiff. That's right, and we see you've got people coming in, and even if they don't have that good credit or or, or that good job, they're coming in saying, "Well, we'll give you two hundred dollars extra a month," and sometimes they'll get it. It all depends on what the landlord wants to do, but. It's kind of dog-eat-dog. Like, you got to get out there and, like I said, just be aggressive and have your agent go out there and represent you properly. And a lot of times, the other thing that we're seeing is renters are coming in and telling the landlord, here's six months up front. It's illegal for the landlord to ask for that, but the renters are saying, look, I'll, I'll pay you six months up front if you're not that comfortable with me. I've had a client, actually, there was a townhouse downtown where the gentleman was coming from France. So, obviously, he didn't have any credit history here with us. He put up the entire year. It was close to about $50,000. He paid it all up front before he even moved in. So the landlords are doing quite well these days then. 
They are. And, you know, this is why prices continue to swell in, in terms of what the average lease price is in Toronto. So let's talk about a list that you have and, and share some of the details of that survey about that rental or lease price. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, the average lease price in Toronto. And Heather, what, what's that running for for about a two-bedroom? Right now, it's about twenty two forty two a month. That's an average two-bedroom rental. That's average, and that's throughout Toronto. That's not just a downtown core. We're talking Scarborough, Etobicoke, North York. So and, all the GTA. And that's Heather, right. if we were talking about the downtown core, what kind of uh, rental fee are we looking at? Okay, well, then you're getting up 3000 plus. For, for sure. For a two-bedroom, or is that just a one-bedroom? That's for a two-bedroom. And what two about bedroom. those folks, Asif, who say, you know what, that's a mortgage payment? It really is. I mean, realistically, if you can afford $2,200 for a rent, you could probably afford a mortgage. But the thing is, people don't want to make that commitment these days. And they're transient, and they want to be able to – they want to be fluid. So suppose they change their job or they don't like where they are. They want to be able to move around. I had a client recently as well. They sold their house in Unionville. They got a great price for their property at the time. And so they decided, they said, Heather, we just want to lease the place now. And so we got them in. They made more than enough. They definitely qualified. But they said, you know what, we're just going to wait and sit on this for a little bit. And in a year, let's look at some pre-construction. So Asif, let's look at that list in terms of the most expensive cities in terms of rent. So when, uh, the list was in uh, U.S. dollars, but when you convert it to Canadian, you know, we're talking about rents getting out of control here. Do you know Toronto ranks number 16 in the world for most expensive rents? And that's at, that's at the $2,200 mark. So what's number one? Number one is Hong Kong. Okay. And in Canadian dollars, you're paying over $5,000, $5,159 Canadian on average for a two-bedroom there. So, you know, comparatively, Toronto has a long way to go before they, they start to hit marks like that. And, and hopefully we, they never do. But, uh, you know, as a landlord, if you have an investment property in Hong Kong, you're laughing because you're, you're pulling in over, you know, almost $5,200. That wasn't me laughing because I've got an investment property. But, wow, unbelievable. San Francisco is over $5,000. They're number two. New York is number three at just over $4,000 Canadian. Zurich, number four, Paris, number five, London, England, just under 2,300 or just 2,000, under 2,400 American. Uh, you know, you go down the list and you've got, you got some big cities up there that are, you know, they're, they're charging more than Toronto prices. So we really do have it lucky here. Okay, I'm not sure that there are many buyers out there that would believe that or buy that because you look at the fact that they've got low inventory right now, so not a lot to choose from. If you're looking to rent, the rent is quite high. What advice do you have for them? You know, if uh, if you have equity in your home, a lot of us have equity in our homes because our prices have gone up so much in the last 15, 20 years. It's a perfect opportunity for you to take that equity and purchase an investment property because when you look at these rents, your mortgage is going to be less than what you're charging in rent. Uh, it's going to cover your your property taxes and maybe even put some money in your pocket. So if you're thinking retirement strategy or if you're thinking your children's education fund, this is a great way to do it because of the way the rents have been going. And, and look at how much potential there is for rents to climb. I mean, we're looking at Hong Kong, San Francisco, New York, Paris, London, Boston, and these are cities that are pretty comparable to, tr- in tr- uh, to Toronto in terms of world-class cities. And that is the upside of the rental market for investors. So it's a great opportunity if you're thinking investments. And we'd love to talk to you. Maybe this is something that you want to do in the new year. But the time is right to take this opportunity, 
learn a little bit more about what your options are, and let's sit down and have a chat about investments. And let's just take a step back for a moment. When you say you have equity in your home, what does that mean? A lot of people, suppose you bought your house 15, 20 years ago, and you paid $350,000, $400,000. The price for that property right now, if you're in York region, is probably close to a million dollars, $1.2, $1.3 million. So as long as you haven't been going back to the bank and refinancing, you have about maybe $800,000 in equity, which is the difference between what you owe on the property and what it's worth right now. The bank will finance you up to 80%. So you're not taking cash from your pocket and putting it into this investment property, you're using your equity and you're able to purchase a, a investment property with that and be able to cover all your payments and make some money. And you're able to advise potential clients on maybe taking this option. For sure. And and we could we we have spreadsheets and graphs that we could show them and it's customized to your needs. It's customized to it's customized to your risk tolerance level because mm-hmm. everyone has a different risk tolerance. So for some sure. people might say, I only want to put in $50,000. There is an opportunity for you because you can buy a pre-construction condo. Some people might say, I want to take out two hundred or $300,000. Now you can purchase a house and rent it out for maybe $3,000, $3,500. So there's so many different options for you that can make you money without using your own money. Now, Heather, this week's hot listing is also a lease? It is. So our office, we just listed a beautiful three-bedroom, four-bathroom, semi-detached home right in the heart of Unionville. It's a perfect family home. You've got a finished walkout basement, a beautiful fenced-in backyard. It's open concept. It's got 16-foot ceilings. It comes with everything. You've got your fridge, stove, dishwasher, washer, dryer. But it also comes with all the window coverings, which for a lease is kind of a big deal because you don't want to have to go out and spend a hundred, sometimes, you know, thousands of dollars on window coverings. With this one, they're installed, they're there, the place is moving ready. Asif, what do you think about this property? This is a great property. I mean, it's a village parkway area. You're surrounded by great schools. William Bursey is uh, right around the corner. That's actually where I went. And uh, you've got Unionville High School right there. So it, this is a great property for someone that's looking to be in the area and have their kids grow up in the area. And just a fabulous price point. I mean, for the size of this property... It's almost a condo price point for a semi-detached home. Heather, one more time, the highlights of this property, the lease price, and where our listeners can get more information. It's a three-bedroom, four-bathroom, semi-detached, located at 75 Foxglove Crescent. That is in Markham. The list price on this one is only $2,300 a month. Now, that's plus utilities. And for more information, they can contact Helen Liu at 905-554-5522. Thanks, Heather. Asif, now time for our listener questions, and the first one comes from John in Maple. He wants to know, how can he back out of a deal if he changes his mind? What are the costs associated with this change? Is it even doable? So, John, I mean, the best thing to do is speak with your lawyer if this is a firm deal because they'll be able to advise you. And, and it's also the reasons why you want to back out. You know, is it, it does it have something to do during the conditional period if you didn't get your financing or, uh, you know, if is it still conditional on a, a home inspection? So it depends on what you have as you're out now. If it is a firm deal, it's it's a contract that you've signed to purchase property and it's going to cost you. So you're going to lose your deposit. You could get sued or you will get sued if they sell it for less. They will sue you for the balance of what you offered to pay Yikes. and what they receive. And they can also have costs and penalties and uh, 
any other thing that their lawyer chooses to throw in, you may be liable for. So it's a binding contract. It sure is, and there are ways to get out of it. You would have to pay something, and the two lawyers would negotiate a a way out, and they'd be able to uh, advise you further. All right, our next question comes from Jackie in Markham. She wants to know how quickly can she close a deal, and is a home inspection always required, even in a new build? Great questions, Jackie. So a home inspection is something that we will always advise our clients to go with. It's peace of mind. It's more security for you. And it's not only just to find out if there's any problems with the house, but it's to find out how to maintain the home properly. And the home inspector's job is, again, it's not to kill deals or terminate deals. They're there to tell you what the status of that home is on that day. And they'll, I think for 300 or $400 or $500, It's probably the the best investment you'll make during your home purchase and even in a new build because when you take a home inspector into a new build, they're going to be testing everything and making sure that you can put a claim in through the builder for any work that needs to be done after you move in. Uh, You don't want to miss anything because when you move into a new build, you're really excited. Everything's brand new and sometimes you overlook certain things Mm -hmm. and a home inspector going into there would be able to help you out. And your other question was, how quickly can you close a deal? It depends on if it's a condo purchase or a freehold purchase. And by freehold, that means there's no condo elements with it. A freehold purchase could usually close quicker. It really depends on the lawyers. I would say I wouldn't try to close a property in less than a week because lawyers still have to do their due diligence. They have to do title searches. We try to say, you know, try to keep it to a minimum of two weeks. Uh, I have seen deals close within 10 days or so. But uh, if you're purchasing a condo, now you've got a status certificate involved and you've got to add a couple of weeks for that process as well. So it takes a little bit longer. Asif, if our listeners want to connect with you directly, how can they do that? They can call me at 416-985-CON. That's 416-985-5426. When we come back, advice from our real estate lawyers. Stay with us. You're listening to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's only radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Asif Khan with Remax Prime Properties. Thank you, Tina. Joining us next on the show is our real estate lawyer from Rathor Beg, and he's broker owner from Remax Empire Realty, Ricky Rathor. Ricky, welcome back. Happy to be here. Thanks, guys, for having me. Ricky, we got we got a question for you from one of our uh, callers, and what they've found is they moved into this new property two days later basement floods there's water everywhere there was no mention of this during the agreement of purchase and sale signing and and discussions and negotiations and upon the seller being called and contacted they deny any knowledge of this what can you tell us from a legal perspective (laughs) what happens next Love it. So, Asif, in a situation like this, ultimately, you have to appreciate that when the deed is registered, the buyer becomes the owner. Um, It is possible, quite frankly, that the issue arises after the transaction closes. And if such is the case, then that's just your bad luck. And as a buyer, that's something you'll have to face. Now, on the other hand, if it's something that the seller was aware of, they concealed it 
and they misled you to believe otherwise that everything was okay, then you may have potential legal recourse. Well, how do you so prove that, we, Ricky? What's that? How do you prove it? So, Tina, at the end of the day, I, I think, you know, the overarching topic here, it goes back to the basic legal presumption and, and principles. So we have this whole idea of what we call caveat emptor, whether you're buying a mango or an orange or a car or a house. The default legal presumption is as a buyer, insofar as possible, make reasonable efforts to conduct your own investigation of the, of the item or whatever it is you are buying. Seller does not need to hold your hand and point you to any sort of defects in a property unless such a defect is considered hidden or latent and more importantly renders the property unsafe for occupancy or uninhabitable. So as a seller, I'm not going to hold your hand and say, here's a broken window, this toilet doesn't flush properly, this, anything that you could have uncovered through a reasonable inspection, my position may be that that's your problem, you should have figured it out, I don't need to disclose that to you. Whereas on the other hand, if it is an issue that I am aware of that is latent and you wouldn't be able to uncover through a reasonable effort, then I may have obligations to disclose this to you. Now, with all of these things considered, the caveat being that this is the current state of the law. Just like I don't have to disclose death, murder, suicide, and the things that we discussed in the previous show, I don't need to disclose these things presently. We don't know where the legal precedents will go in the future. It's only a matter of time before something like this does end up in court and we end up with the answers we're looking for. And Ricky, I noticed you, you mentioned mangoes and oranges in your description, but you left out lemon. <laughs> getting to, uh, getting to uh, another question that this person had. This is a condo townhome. What obligation does the condo corporation have to remedy this because the water is coming from outside? So I, I think what I want to do is I want to answer this in, in two different aspects. So first off, going back to the original question, Asif and Tina, if you are a purchaser and you want on the record that the seller is not aware of any issues with the property, there's no death, no murder, no suicide, uh, no water damage, penetration, anything like that, put it in your contract, your agreement of purchase and sale, and more particularly, reserve representations and warranties that will not come to an end once the deed is transferred to the buyer. If those representations and warranties right. survive the closing, you may be able to hold the seller accountable if something were to go wrong. Now, to, to further this point, you also, as a buyer or as a seller or as a realtor involved in the transaction, have to play it based on who you represent. So if I represent a buyer, I'll put in a provision that the seller represents and warrants the channels and fixtures will be in good working order. And then I'll want it to say that this warranty shall survive and not merge on completion, meaning even after closing, if I find out after a reasonable amount of time, the appliances are no good, I could potentially come back with a claim. Whereas when I'm representing a seller and I receive an offer like that, I will strike out the last part where it says the warranty will survive and not merge. And I'll let the other salesperson know that we don't have any issues with the appliances. You conduct as many investigations as you want before the closing, but a minute after closing, if you go in and put bath salts into the dishwasher and then come back and say it's not working, not my problem, not my client's problem. So you tailor your contract accordingly. Now to the second question, with a condo, it all comes down to which part is affected and whether that part constitutes your unit or if it's a common element that's affected. Now, what's very interesting is that condos have insurance, but that insurance usually doesn't cover your personal items. So if there is a flood that intrudes into the property and makes a muck of your carpet, your broad loom, your, you know, whatever it is that, that becomes exposed to this element, those things would be claimed under your home insurance policy that you would have as, a, as an owner for content. 
Unfortunately, the condo would repair the uh, issue, but they would not make you whole for anything that you have lost. You would have to have your insurance for something like that. So it really comes down to where do we draw the line in terms of ownership? What is yours and your responsibility? And what is the responsibility of the condo corporation? And and so basically the the unit itself, if the leak is found to be affecting the unit itself and not from one of the common elements. What would a common element be in a condo? Would it be the exterior wall that connects all the townhomes together? Where is that line? It all comes down to how the condo is created, how it's registered, and where they draw those boundaries. In, in the condo documents that we review, these are the sorts of things that we look out for. You know, even even such a thing as a drywall in a washroom. Well. On the inside of the washrooms, that space may be considered mine. Right behind the drywall may be considered a common element. So it really comes down to how it's registered and what's structured. I think the starting point in this situation is to understand what you own and don't own and what you own in proportionate shares in the common element. And you look at the insurance policies and you go backwards. I had a situation in my law office where the abutting unit was a residential condo. I'm in a commercial condo. They had a massive flood last year when the pipes bursted. And uh, that caused flooding into my particular unit. They made, you know, the repairs for the pipes in their in their in their space, but all of the damage sustained in my unit was my responsibility. Now, and let's talk a little bit about insurance. So it is, I mean, you're adamant that purchasers will have insurance on the property prior to closing, right? And is that uh, standard with all lawyers, or is you know, do you need that insurance to close? So here, here's here's where we draw the line. Uh, if a client comes into my office and says, Ricky, I don't believe in interest. I don't believe in insurance. And sometimes I have clients who believe that whatever's going to happen in their life should happen because it's supposed to happen and that you should not hedge against such, such risks. There are clients who will walk in and say, I only deal with cash. I don't borrow money. I don't believe insurance. I don't want insurance. Well, then there's certain things I as a lawyer have to look into. So first off, when you look at the agreement of purchase and sale, if I'm representing a seller who doesn't agree with these things and they don't want the property to be insured, my contract has to be revised because it does require the standard preprinted language in the ARIA agreement does su- suggest that the seller has to maintain fire insur- insurance until closing. Um, whereas if I don't have that insurance and now I've signed off on the contract that I will have it, that becomes a potential issue for me from a breach of contract perspective. Now, as a buyer, if I'm a cash buyer and somebody, if a cash buyer walks into my office and says, I'm going to give you a certified check. It's not money that's borrowed by a bank. There's no mortgage. And I don't want fire insurance. I don't believe in it. I'm going to let it be. Well, that's up to you. You can instruct that. I will have you sign off on a whole bunch of documents indemnifying myself and my law practice from your decision. Uh, I will make sure that the decision is informed. But as long as you're not borrowing the money and it's not financed, I have no concern with that outside of me telling you what your potential pitfalls are in doing that. The only time fire insurance is required is when you're borrowing the money and as a condition to the lending, the lender says that the only way you can disperse this money and apply it to the purchase is if you have a satisfactory insurance binder that guarantees us replacement cost or a certain amount that covers our mortgage in case there is a fire or anything to that effect. Now, Ricky, you've been on both sides. You represented buyers and sellers. If you're able to leave us with a piece of advice for both, what would it be? Make sure your contracts are crystal clear. There should be no uncertainty. Make sure you've done your due diligence on the realtor you're working with or the team that supports that realtor. And make sure that, you know, you're not blindly signing documents. It's very trendy now to sign documents electronically. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of different things happening. But ultimately, you have to appreciate that when you're buying a property, 
It isn't a bag of cookies. It's one of the biggest financial decisions you're going to make in your lifetime. And you have to give it the time and allocate the resources required to make sure that your decisions are informed. If you don't understand something, don't just take your realtor's word for it. Investigate further, look into it and satisfy yourself because although we're licensed, we're insured, there's some, you know, uh, responsibility on our part to, to look into these matters, you as a buyer or as a seller, your best remedy is to make sure that everything is structured so that you know exactly what you're getting into right from the start. Ricky, if buyers or sellers want more information on this topic, how do they get a hold of you? You can call me anytime direct at 416-731-8478. Again, 416-731-8478. Ricky, thanks for the information. We're so glad that your participation with this show will survive and not merge on completion. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to, uh, forward to it, guys. Thank you so much for having me. That's our show for this week. Remember, if you need to connect with Asif Khan or if you missed any part of On the Market, go to our website, 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.